From the stage of the Empire Theatre, just off the Champs-Élysées in the heart of Paris, France, you are about to be entertained by some of the biggest names in show business. For the next hour and 30 minutes, you will hear such bright stars as... Fred Allen. Josephine Baker. Gracie Fields. Joan Fontaine. Bill Gargan. Fernand Grave. Georges Guettari. Portland Harper. George Sanders. Meredith Wilson. And my name, darlings, is Tallulah Bankhead. The National Broadcasting Company presents The Big Show. The Big Show. When Bill Gorgon was fired from Martin Keene, he planned to star in a Broadway rendition of Dr. Knock. In late September of 1951, Gargan signed a $1 million contract that made him the exclusive property of NBC for the next five years. The deal required him to participate in a minimum of four guest spots on radio and TV each year. At the same time, he was invited by Frank Folsom of RCA to accompany him to Rome to meet the Pope. Along the way, Gargan went to Paris to appear in the October 7, 1951 episode of The Big Show. He participated in a sketch involving a poker game with George Sanders, Fernand Gravy, and Meredith Wilson. Well, darlings, I simply must tell you about a most exciting experience I had the other day here in Paris. I was walking along the Champs-Élysées when suddenly I found myself in conversation with a dashing, attractive American. Pardon me, but haven't I seen you somewhere before? Well, I wouldn't doubt it. My name is Bill Gardner. Of course, of course, Bill Gardner, the NBC radio and television star. How nice to see you again. And how nice for you to carry your own applause along the Champs-Élysées. I'm sorry, but you have the advantage of me. And not yet, I haven't, darling. My name is Tallulah Bankhead. Oh, sure. The radio announcer. Uh, <laughs> isn't he sweet? Tell me, Bill, what are you doing in Paris? Oh, I'm here on a holiday, seeing the sights, having a good time. Well, wouldn't you like a gay, charming, attractive companion? Well, I might. Uh, you know anybody? <laughs> well, thank you, darling. I'd be glad to. Oh, oh, you mean... Uh, oh, I didn't know you were talking. Well, uh, that is, if, uh, if you... Uh, uh, I wasn't... Uh, what I meant... When you come uh, well, to a good place to stop, stop. <laughs> well, you see, Tallulah, I'm, well, uh, I'm a lone wolf. You and me both, brother. <laughs> so, how about it, Bill? I'm just dying to go on the town. Will you be at my hotel at eight, darling? Well, okay, I'll be there, I guess. Unless... Unless what? Unless I get hit by a French taxi. Ah, <laughs> uh, who can be that lucky? Well, hello. Oh, George Sanders, how are you? Good evening, Tallulah. Uh, I, I, I'm sorry I kept you waiting. I was hoping... I mean, I was afraid you'd be gone. <laughs> kept me waiting? You mean, did I? I mean, that is... Uh, were you supposed? I mean, well, I didn't... I mean, I, what I mean to say is... When I... you come to a good place to stop, stop. <laughs> oh, do come in, George. I'm so glad to see you. Oh, really? Uh, yes, you see, when I ran into you today at the Champs-Élysées, you didn't sound too sure you could come. Oh, may I present a friend of mine, Mr. Saunders? This is Monsieur Fernand Gravet. How do you do, Mr. Saunders? I'm happy to know you. Thank you. 
Haven't I met you before? No, I don't think so. Now, didn't I see you running down the Champs-Élysées this afternoon? <laughs> oh, yes, that, that was just after I met, and uh, she... I, I mean, when I was running from... <laughs> it is, I, I, well, don't worry, when I come to a good place to stop, I'll stop. <laughs> Well, this is certainly an unexpected pleasure, having both charming gentlemen. Oh, excuse me, there's somebody at the door. Well, Bill Gargan, hello, come in. Uh, I'm not too late, huh? Oh, not at all. <laughs> oh, Bill, did you bring those for me? What beautiful gloves. <laughs> you shouldn't have. I didn't. They're mine. Let go of them. <laughs> oh, Bill... I want you to meet two very charming gentlemen. This is Monsieur Grave, Mr. Gargan. How do you do? Hi. And George Sanders. Do you know Bill Gargan? Uh, I don't believe I've ever had the time. I think I... <laughs> I think I met you before. Didn't I see you running down the Champs-Élysées this afternoon? There seems to be an echo here. Well, gentlemen, which will it be? One of you is taking me out tonight. How about a hand of poker to see who takes her out? Good poker it is. Here's a, a deck of cards. Stacked, I'll wager. Oh, darling, that's the sweetest thing you've said to me all evening. <laughs> now, please, Tallulah, no favoritism. Okay, I've dealt each man a hand of poker. Oh, before you look at it, fellas, how about betting a dollar on the side to make it more interesting? I go on. <laughs> here's my dollar. No, oh, here's mine. Well, I don't have a dollar. I have this 10,000-franc note. Okay, put that in. You owe us the other 50 cents. <laughs> Now, uh, Fernand, uh, what is your hand? Well, I think I'll take four cards. Oh, uh, this isn't draw poker. What have you got? Oh, a full house. <laughs> you think you have trouble? I have four aces. Four aces? What's your next card? <laughs> what difference does it make? What have you got? I must have walked under a ladder today. I got a straight flush. Excuse me, darling. Someone's at the door. Well, Portland Hopper, what are you doing here? Well, Fred couldn't make it, so he asked me to come. Good. So long, Tallulah. Perhaps some other time, Tallulah. Good night, Tallulah. It's been quite dull. Where did everybody go? Now, never you mind, Portland. Come on. You and I are going for a walk on the Champs-Élysées, and here's the way we do it. We walk up and say... I beg your pardon. Haven't we met somewhere before? And then we say... Two weeks after his big show appearance, Gargan was starring in a new series for NBC. I think there is something so special between the listener and the other side of the microphone in the studio. Very special. I don't feel I'm talking to two men now. I feel I'm talking to a whole world. All of the people that you have created for me because of what you're doing. How many shows were you doing a week? I did as many as four and five shows a day. Oh. I did Terry and the Pirates and Dick Tracy back to back. And early in the day, I would do David Harum. And then I would do a half hour of Grand Central Station and so on. I would say that somewhere is between 35 and 40,000 broadcasts passed through my hands. Launched as part of NBC's year-long Silver Jubilee, Barry Crane, Confidential Investigator, first aired over NBC from New York on Wednesday, October 3, 1951 at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. 
Bill Gargan debuted The Detective, opposite Mr. President on ABC, Frank Edwards on Mutual, and Boxing on CBS. The show was directed by the just-heard Hyman Brown. By 1952, Brown had been involved in radio for decades. What would you consider yourself, High? What was your label in radio? Because you directed, you also created. What do you, and what level do you think of yourself? I never had a label. It was a way of life. I created a show, I produced a show, I sold a show. I didn't put a label on myself, mm -hmm. but I belonged to the AFTRA, to the Guild, because occasionally I'd play a taxi cab driver. The big gag was Everett Sloan would go around and tell everybody that I would give him the wrong times for the repeats. We'd have to do a repeat to the West Coast, so I'd give him the wrong time. That would mean that they didn't show up, so I could play the part. But believe me, I'll never forget Myra McCormick saying, Hi, it's 10 minutes to 12, and Inner Sanctum has to go on. Do you know where I am? <laughs> I said, where are you? He said, Newark. Oh, oh no. Oh, no. Oh, I played his part uh, wonderfully. Don't. <laughs> they, all, they, all, they all used to rip me about that. But I'm a frustrated actor. I wouldn't put a label on myself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, it was, I don't know that we had labels. The Barry was inspired by the nickname of William Gargan's oldest son, then 22. The title of the show was soon changed to Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator. Episode 3 was called The Judge and the Champ. Hello, Craig speaking. I wanted to read you my leave for tomorrow's column. I... Not the door. Hold the line, Barry, while I see who it is. You, look, I told you it's no use coming here. You're just wasting your time. My life's too short. My transcription. Barry Craig, confidential investigator, starring William Gargan. Barry Craig speaking. It was one of those nights. I was sitting in my office with my feet hooked on the corner of my desk, trying to whip up some enthusiasm over an assignment to bodyguard a couple of tin coffee pots at the Long Island wedding when the telephone rang. I let it ring a few times before I reached out and snagged it off its hook. After all, when they're that anxious, they can be mighty worthwhile. Yeah, who's this? Al White from the Chronicle. Remember me? Oh, Al White, sure. How's the gossip column racket these days? Warming up. I got a chore for you. I'll bet you have. Meaning what? I've been reading that column of yours. Those cracks you've been making about Larry Slade throwing the big fight, they can't have made him very happy. I hear he's looking for you. Yeah, so do I. I need a bodyguard. You keep printing that Slade took a dive and you're more likely to need an undertaker. I was right about it, wasn't I? I even called around. Sometimes there's something better to be than right. Such as? Alive. Something you're not likely to be if you keep needling Slade. He's big and sensitive. My heart bleeds for him. Look, do you want this job or not? All right, Al. Where do I start guarding the body? The Casa Daily Bar. Midnight. 
It wasn't the kind of case I'd like, but a private detective is like a doctor or a lawyer. He can't always pick and choose. Anyway, a few minutes short of midnight, I parked the car outside the Casa Daly. It was an old white frame building that Ace Daly had converted into a plush boob trap. One of those joints where if they don't get your roll with the fancy prices at the bar, they got the back rooms all rigged up with roulette wheels and crap tables where they do. I was holding down the bar with an elbow, squinting through the fog of blue-gray smoke when my client, Al White, walked in. Waiting long? Not very. Seen Ace Daly? Yeah, he went in the game room a little while ago. Larry Slade with him? Champ? No, why? Just a hunch. He'll be here, too, before the night's over. Daly's in the game room now, huh? Why the interest in Ace Daly? I thought you were after Slade's high. Maybe I'm after both of them. You think Ace had a hand in fixing that fight? Yeah, and tonight I'm looking for proof. Any objection? Sure skin, if you like to wear it with holes in it. That's what I'm paying you to prevent. Maybe we better make this one uh, cash in advance. (laughs) And she trusts me? Oh, sure. I just don't want to have to go to the trouble of suing your estate to get my money. Oh, very funny. Hey, 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 wait a minute. You must read tea leaves. Huh? Don't look now, but your old friend, the ex-champ, just came in. Is he heading this way? No, he's going on through into the gaming room. Good. What's good about it? I had a tip slave would be showing up for the payoff tonight. It settled it. He dumped the fight and Daly paid him to do it. You still haven't got any proof of a payoff. With a little luck, we might even get that. What are you going to do, follow Slade in? Not yet. Give him a minute or two head start. He won't go direct to Daly's office. He'll probably waste a couple of minutes looking around in the gaming room. Just to make sure he isn't being followed. Now, if we time it right, we may catch him in the act. And if we do, I'll have the biggest story of the year. I only hope you live to write it. I'll write it. Don't you worry about me. All right, then. I'll worry about me. I only hope that I live to read it. Conjunction with NBC's 25th anniversary, the network launched a series of both radio and TV offerings, highlighting the growth of NBC's technology, talent, infrastructure, and advertising success. Block-sharing advertising was in full effect. The network sold commercial time spots rather than full shows and called it Operation Tandem. Gargan was back on the big show the next March 16, 1952, to celebrate St. Patrick's Day with Tallulah Bankhead, and good friend and fellow Catholic, Fred Allen. Well, darlings, how about those St. Patrick's Day's greetings? You've had plenty of time. Some of the most important speeches were written quickly. Now, I remember when I was on a train once, a man borrowed an envelope from me and scribbled on it for a few moments, and that turned out to be the Gettysburg Address. (laughs) What am I saying? (laughs) All right, let's hear from, uh, well, how about you, Bill Gargan? Dear Tallulah, I'd like to give you some advice on this St. Patrick's Day. If you lay off the Irish stuff, the snakes will go away. (laughs) Darlings, last week in our quest for the kind of story which would please you on the big show, we chanced upon a wry little classic from the droll pen of John Collier. It has just the suspenseful angle and the macabre twist to tingle your nerves. It has two, as the star lead, the distinguished actor, Mr. William Gargan, whose exciting new series, 
Barry Craig Confidential Investigator opens on NBC Radio next Tuesday night. But now Mr. Gargan in the role of Dr. Rankin brings us John Collier's story, Demortius. Dr. Rankin was a large and raw-boned man, on whom the newest suit had once appeared outdated, like a suit in a photograph of 20 years ago. He had those huge and clumsy hands, was going to be an asset to a doctor in a small upstate town where people still retain a rural relish for paradox. Thing is, the more ape-like the paw, the more precise it can be in the delicate business of tonsillectomy. This conclusion was perfectly justified in the case of Dr. Rankin. For example, on this particular fine morning, though his task was nothing more ticklish than the cementing over of a large patch on his cellar floor, he managed those large and clumsy hands with all the unfurried certainty of one who would never leave a sponge within or create an unsightly scar without. Hey, Doc. Hey, anybody home? Hey, Doc, the fish are biting. Let's go. Ah, I guess he's out. Okay, we'll leave a note. Say we're down at the creek and to come on down. Well, we could tell Irene, but well, she's not here either. You'd think she'd be around. Yeah, you said it, bud. Just look at this table while you could write your name in the Shh. dust. But look, he, he must be down in the cellar. Okay. What? Doc, there you are. <laughs> Did you hear us yelling? I, uh... Thought I heard someone up there. Well, we was bawling our heads off. Thought there was nobody home. Where's Irene? Uh, visiting. Uh, she's gone visiting. Hey, what goes on here? What are you doing, Doc? Burying one of your patients or what? Oh, there's been water seeping up through the floor. I figured it might be some spring opened up or something. You don't say. Yeah. Uh, oh, gee, Doc, I sold you this property. Don't say I fixed you up with a dump where there's an underground spring. Well, there was water. That's all I know, bud. Yeah, but, Doc, you can look on that geological map the Kiwanis Club got up. There's no better section of subsoil in the town. It looks like Bud sold you a lemon, Doc. No, 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 no. Look, when the Doc came to this town, he was green. You, you'll admit he was green. <laughs> the, the things he didn't know. <laughs> yeah, he bought Ted Weber's jalopy. Huh? <laughs> yeah. He'd have bought the Jessup place if I'd let him, but I wouldn't give him a bum steer. Okay, okay, I was green. I admit it. Listen to him. Just a poor, simple city slicker from Poughkeepsie. Yeah, some people would have taken him. Maybe some people did, but not me. No, I recommended this property. He and Irene moved straight in as soon as they were married. Now, I wouldn't have put Doc onto a dump where there'd be a spring under the foundation. Oh, forget it. I, I guess it was just the heavy rain. My gosh, look at that pickaxe. You certainly went deep enough, right right down into the clay. Huh? Yeah, that's four feet down, the clay. Uh, 18 inches. Oh, four feet, I can show you on the map. Oh, all right, no arguments, boys. Hey, what do you say we get out of the creek, Doc? They're biting. Oh, I, I can't do it, boys. I... Got to see a patient or two. Oh, <laughs> live and let live, Doc. Give them a chance to get better. Are you going to depopulate the whole darn town? <laughs> oh, I got to make my rounds, boys. Sorry, the fish will have to wait. Well, I, I guess we'll have to take no for an answer. Yeah, we, we'd better be getting along. Uh, how's uh, Irene, Doc? Oh, never better. She's gone visiting. Albany. Got the 11 o'clock train. 11 o'clock? For Albany? Oh, uh, did I say Albany? Uh, Watertown, I meant. Oh, 
friends in Watertown? Yeah, Mrs. Slater. Mr. and Mrs. Slater. Lived next door to them when she was a kid, Irene said. Uh, over on Sycamore Street. Slater? Yeah. N next door to Irene? Mm-hmm. No. Oh, yes, yeah. She was telling me all about them last night. She got a letter. Seems this Mrs. Slater looked after her when her mother was in the hospital one time. Nope. Mm -mm. Well, that's, that's what she told me. Of course, it was a good many years ago. Look, Doc, Bud and I were raised in this town. We've known Irene's folks all our lives. We were in and out of their house all the time. There was never anybody next door called Slater. Well, perhaps she married again, this woman. Uh, perhaps it was a different name. Oh, do you mind moving your feet? I'd, I'd better smooth out this rough place in the cement. Uh, no, Doc. It wasn't a different name. What, uh, what, what time did Irene go to the station, Doc? Oh, uh, about a quarter of an hour ago. You didn't drive her? No, she walked. We came down Main Street. We didn't meet her. Well, maybe she walked across the pasture. Oh, that's a tough walk with a suitcase. Oh, she just had a couple of things in a little bag. I don't get it, Doc. I... Bud. Yeah. Holy smoke. Oh, gosh, Doc. A guy like you... What in the name of heaven are you two bloody fools thinking? What are you trying to say? A spring. I ought to have known right away it wasn't any spring. Am I crazy or are you? You suggest that I... That Irene, my wife? Oh, go on. Get out of here. Yeah, go and get the sheriff. Tell him to come here and start digging. You, come on, get out, both of you. I... I don't know, Buck. It isn't as if he didn't have the provocation. Lord knows. You know and I know. The whole town knows. But try try telling it to a jury. What is it? Now what are you trying to say? What do you mean? If this isn't being on a spot. Well, Doc, you can see how it is. It, it takes some thinking. And we've been friends right from the start. Darn good friends. But we got to think, Doc. This, this is serious. Provocation or not, there's a law in the land. There's... There's such a thing as being an accomplice. You were talking about provocation. You're right, Doc. And you're our friend. And if ever it could be called justified... Justified? You were bound to get wised up sooner or later. Yeah, we could have told you, but what the heck. Yes, yes, we could. And, and, and we nearly did five years ago. Well, you hadn't been here for six months. But, well, we sort of cottoned to you. Sort of giving you a hint. You spoke about it, remember, Buck? Yeah, I remember. A, a decent, straightforward guy comes to a place like this and marries the town flirt. And nobody tells him. Everybody just watches. That's funny. I came right out in the open about that Jessup property. I, I, I wouldn't let you buy that, but getting married, that, that's something else again. Well, I'm, I'm 50. I suppose I am pretty old for Irene. And I know a lot of people think she's not exactly a perfect wife. Maybe she's not. She's young, full of life. Oh, skip it, Doc, skip it. No, no, no. I'm sort of a dry fellow, kind of dull. But she's not much of a housekeeper. No, she ain't. And she's not very deep mentally. I don't care. She's lazy, no system. I've got plenty of system. She's childish. That's it. Like a child. But even so, that she would behave like that. Uh-huh. Uh, well, Doc, the, the town will be on your side. Yeah, but that won't mean much when the trial comes up in the county seat. Yeah, I guess you're right. I've been so upset, so mixed up.
What'll I do, boys? What'll I do? Uh, it's up to you, bud. I can't turn him in. Well, I... Uh, well, take it easy, Doc. Uh, calm down. Uh, look, Buck, when we came in here, the street was empty, wasn't it? I guess so. Anyway, nobody saw us come down in the cellar. And... And we haven't been down. You get that, Doc? We shouted upstairs, hung around a minute or two, and then cleared out. But we never came down into this cellar. I wish you hadn't. Now, all you have to do is say Irene went out for a walk and never came back. Buck and I can swear we saw her headed out of town with a, with a fella in a tan coupe. We'll fix it. Well, we better scram. And remember, Doc, we were never down here. So long. We're for you, Doc. So long now. I'm down here, Irene. Oh. Oh. There you are, honey pie. Can you beat it? I missed the darn train. Oh? Did uh, you come back across the field? Yeah, like a dope. I could have hitched a ride and caught the train up the line, only I didn't think. If you'd run me over to the junction, Doc, I could still make it. Maybe. Did you meet anyone coming back? Not a soul. Aren't you finished with that old cement job yet? No. I'm afraid I'll have to take it all up again. Come over here, my dear, now. I'll show you. Now with transcription widespread, Barry Craig could be heard on different days each week based on the region. Listeners would also hear different commercials, depending on what affiliate they were tuning into. These could also be a mix of local and national ad spots. Block sharing was being used by the other networks. ABC touted theirs as the Pyramid Plan, CBS as the Power Plan, and Mutual called theirs MBS Plus. In a further refinement of MBS Plus, Mutual introduced an exclusive package of MGM programming for 1952. Both The Adventures of Harry Lyme and The Black Museum aired as part of this deal. For more info, tune into Breaking Walls, episode 141. This is The Big Show, act two, and here is Tallulah Bankhead chatting with Bill Gargan. Well, Bill, it's been a long time since I saw you. It was last summer in Paris, wasn't it? Faith and that it was, Tallulah. Sure and Magora. You're looking well, Willie, me by. And sure, you're a lovely sight to these old eyes. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the mystery voice. <laughs> the two actors on stage are conversing in what they fondly believe to be Irish dialect. <laughs> I will translate what they are saying. I am qualified to translate Irish because I am a three-time loser in the Irish sweepstakes. <laughs> when we were in Paris, I was wishing we could have gone out together, Colleen. I've thought of you often, Colleen. I've missed you, Colleen. He keeps calling her Colleen because he's forgotten her name. <laughs> Footnote, a Colleen is a female collie. Ah, oh, William, still handing out the same malarkey. It's full of the old Nick, you are. Old Nick. He reminds her of old Nick Kenny. <laughs> Footnote, Nick Kenny is a mythical Irish leprechaun. <laughs> Tallulah, my girl, after we finish up this hour and a half wake, 
Let us go, you and I, to have a wee bit of the creature. He wants to go to see a Betty Davis picture. <laughs> sure, and Begora. Translation, over my dead body. <laughs> and after that, we'll go for a stroll on the boardwalk and get some good old Irish grub, a hot dog. That's Coney Island. <laughs> ah, Tallulah, you're a fine broth of a girl. Broth in Gaelic is spelled B-R-O-A-D. Ah, <laughs> oh, William, talking to you is like a breath of old Ireland. She means a breath of old Irish. <laughs> hey, fellas, is there any room for another paisan in here? Paisan, that's what old Irish is. It's real paisan. <laughs> what is it, Frank? I'm busy. Well, I'm sorry, Tallulah, but I'm rather upset. See, I don't understand why Bill Gargan gets to act in a dramatic sketch, and I don't. Well, darling, you can't act. I can act as well as you can. What do you mean you can act as well as I can act? Well, I can act as well as you can sing. <laughs> now, look, I'd like to put on a little dramatic... You better laugh it up, it's getting late now. <laughs> I'd like to put on a little dramatic sketch and carry on from where Bill ended his story. How about it? I know. You can act in it with me. Oh, well, Meredith, some mood music, if you please. Launched with their tandem plan, NBC provided a pay-as-you-sell opportunity for local affiliates. Local sponsors could pick from 119 one-minute spots. The goal was to accommodate sponsors without a long contract. Radio drama takes your imagination, embraces the listener like nothing else in the history of theater. I told you earlier that I gave his first job to a man like Irwin Shaw. Mm -hmm. For all of his life, he said, his novels were successful because he learned about writing dialogue. Dialogue sets the scene, not long narratives. You set emotions by dialogue not by long, descriptive passages. Craig occupied an office on the third floor of the Mercantile Building on Manhattan's Madison Avenue. Barry Craig's writers included Frank Kane, Louis Vitties, John Robert, and Ernest Canoy. I came into the office. Now, later on, I did work at home and came into the office, wandered around. But that was much later when I was really doing more. At the beginning, all of NBC's sustaining dramatic programs were written by the staff. And you did it in the office under the supervision of the editor, and that was it. So you worked very hard and turned out one, two scripts a week. Sometimes you had two weeks if it was an hour show. And it was very, as you can see in the list, they did an awful lot. William Gargan was supported by some of the finest East Coast voice talents of the era. This included Santos Ortega, Elspeth Eric, Arlene Blackburn, Barbara Weeks, Joan Alexander, Parker Fenley, Arnold Moss, Louis Van Ruten, and Herb Ellis. The people in radio, from producers, directors, agency, were the most marvelous friends. I mean, they were just a great, great bunch of people to work with. The motion picture business and the TV business, to me, became a bore. And I've had some pretty fair successes, and I work with some nice people. But all in all, I don't like those people. That's my personal opinion. 
But well, you the, don't get a chance to like them. You know, you don't get thrown together like that. And like the agency, do. but working now in commercials, at achieving the ripe old age of 40 that I have achieved. 40 what? 40 what? 40, 40, 41, 2. Who cares? You want to go? Uh, Anyway, want to go for double? I'm now working, I'm now working with uh, 30 to, let's say, 25 to 35 to 40-year-old people who are very bright, art directors, writers, producers, creative people. And they are so bright and there's so much fun in the creation of an on-camera commercial. Uh, I did a lot of commercials with Howard Z, for example, who became a very, you know, big uh, film director. Stan Rigotti, who became a film director. But all of those things were so creative and had so much fun that uh, it w it's a joy to do a commercial as opposed to a, to a picture or a television. For me. NBC announcers included Don Pardo and Ed King, with John Daly as spokesperson for the 52 Pontiac Spots, and Carl Caruso for Bramo Seltzer. Mm -hmm. By using a group that was familiar one with the other, also you had a kind of group ensemble playing. Sure. The actors mm -hmm. related to each other magnificently. There was a warmth and a camaraderie and a respect in the studio that I don't think you find on any set or any stage anywhere else. I'm very proud of that. All of the people that I have ever worked with, going back to the 30s, are still with me.